LP stands for limited partner. Um, institutional limited partners consist mostly of endowments and foundations, uh, as well as vehicles called fund of funds, which is um, what Sindana, my company is. Um, a fund of funds takes capital from other allocators and invests it into uh, venture capital or private equity partnerships. Welcome, everybody. I'm Mark Peter Davis, Managing Partner of Interplay Ventures. On this podcast, I interview innovators about their strategies, industries, and decisions. Today, we have Graham Pingree of Sendana Capital. Sendana is one of the preeminent limited partners in the tech community. Now, limited partners play a critical role in venture. They provide capital to the VCs, which the VCs in turn invest in companies. Graham has an incredible background, having worked at some of the top firms in the industry. He's obviously now a partner at Sendana Capital, a leading LP which focuses on seed funds both in the U.S. and globally. He lends his wisdom into how to think about investing as a limited partner, and it's an incredibly important conversation for entrepreneurs to listen to so they can better understand how their VCs operate. I hope you enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Chelsea Capital. Chelsea Capital provides high-quality, low-cost accounting, tax, CFO, and alternative finance solutions. For those who don't know, alternative finance solutions include venture debt and other forms of non-dilutive capital. They help companies scale their operations while keeping costs low. If you're interested in learning more, visit Chelsea.Capital. Graham, thanks for joining us today. Pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm uniquely excited to have you on the podcast. We've spoken to founders, VCs. Having the LP perspective is a critical part of the equation. It's an important part of the innovation ecosystem that I think, frankly, most founders don't think about, but obviously VCs do every day. Uh, so before we get into your background, I was wondering if you could pr- explain to everyone what an LP is uh, in probably the most simple versions of that. Uh, sure. To make sure that just people who aren't familiar with the term at all have context. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So LP stands for limited partner. Um, institutional limited partners consist mostly of endowments and foundations, uh, as well as vehicles called fund of funds, which is um, what Sindana, my company is. Um, a fund of funds takes capital from other allocators and invests it into uh, venture capital or private equity partnerships. Uh, hence the the limited partner um, as as part of a, a general partnership that that we invest in. When you say other allocators, I know what you mean, but do you mind explaining that for folks? Sure. Yeah. Um, so many of our LPs as a fund to fund are these college endowments or nonprofit foundations, uh, sometimes family offices or corporations. Um, you know, they make up the bulk of the institutional limited partner base um, for venture capital and, and leveraged buyout funds. And you guys are a fund of funds, which is another layer for the folks listening between universities and insurance companies who are providing the initial capital and then the VCs, which eventually provided to the entrepreneurs. Why do fund of funds exist? Yeah, uh, it's, it's a, it's a good question. And, um, uh, I think you can make an argument that there are many fund funds out there that, that maybe shouldn't exist. Um, we believe that our strategy is very uh, niche uh, and it serves a part of the market 
that it's a it's a real challenge for other allocators to access. So uh, at Sendana, we exclusively focus on sub hundred million dollar seed and pre seed venture funds. Uh, that's a market today with hundreds, if not thousands, of, uh, of of funds. And for many of the the larger allocators, it just doesn't make sense for them to spend the time to understand. Uh, who the most compelling candidates are in in a way when they're only going to be able to allocate a, a very small percentage of their total portfolio to to that part of the market. So that's that's kind of our value proposition and the reason that we believe we exist. Um, you know, we we think that specialization on this part of the market serves us well and and allows us to build a uh, a really interesting portfolio of some of the top seed fund managers. Right. So, that, so there's someone sitting at, you know, Columbia's endowment, university endowment. They've got billions and billions of dollars to manage. A small part of it's going to VC. And there's no way they have the time to go meet all the other, all the small VC fund managers. And so you guys provide right. that. Right. I, I think that, um, yeah, many of the endowments that do have venture capital allocations focus their efforts on accessing the bigger life cycle funds where they can write really meaningful capital allocations. Um, you know, for, the funds that we cover from you know 10 to 100 million dollars uh, a big endowment obviously can't write a 25 million dollar check to them um, so occasionally they, they'll i mean we have a lot of endowments in our lp base that they'll write us a check and we provide that exposure to to multiple of these seed funds that's awesome thank you for that uh you want to fill in a little bit more on sendana's focus i know you guys have uh, recently closed another fund you guys manage a good, good bit of capital um just for the folks listening to get a little bit of an overview on the firm? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, Sendana's strategy focuses exclusively on sub $100 million seed and pre-seed funds. Uh, as part of our fourth fund of fund, which we closed in June of this year, um, we, we were fortunate to, um, to, to be oversubscribed and, and hit our hard cap in a, cu- a couple of the uh, the series of, of the fund, the fund is a bit of an umbrella with, uh, we have a seed portfolio, a pre-seed portfolio, and an international portfolio underneath it that we allow LPs to kind of allocate amongst those, those three series at their discretion. So they can, um, they can wait 50% to one, 25, 25, they can pick that? They can. And, and in fact, we have some LPs that only came into to one of the series and, and not the others. Um, so we've, We've historically really tried to optimize for LP flexibility. I think because we're LPs ourselves, right. we don't like um, when managers make our allocation decisions for us. So um, we structured this as a way to try and preserve as much LP flexibility as, as we could. Um, Hist- historically, has one of those buckets performed better? Is there any pattern? So international... Um, is is too soon to tell. Uh, although the early results look really compelling, um, so we're we're very excited about uh, the early traction across that portfolio. Um, pre-seed and seed, I, I don't think we have a, a huge distinction yet. Um, there, I mean, I would say if I'm thinking of our best four or five funds, they're split roughly evenly over uh, over seed and, and pre-seed strategies. Um, now we think that pre-seed is inherently a little bit more risk. We think of pre-seed as institutionalizing the friends and family round, really kind of right. backing pre-product ideas before anything is built. Whereas seed today, 
Um, it's a little counterintuitive because you think of it as so early stage, but most companies that are raising seed capital are generating early revenue yeah. and um, are, are trying to establish product market fit, but there are actual metrics to evaluate. Um, so, uh, so we think pre-seed is, is likely to be a little bit, a little bit riskier. Those funds tend to be smaller um, and uh, potentially a little bit higher alpha as well. Innovation's democratizing, right? 20 years ago, it was all in the Valley. Now it's all over the country and internationally. Uh, when you think about your international program, what geographies are relevant for you guys? Uh, I know historically it was probably just an Israel story, maybe a UK story. Has that changed? It, it has. Um, although we, we do think that there's probably only uh, less than 10 probably ecosystems around the globe outside the US that we think uh, warrant a dedicated seed strategy and can support a number of local seed funds. So when we think about an ecosystem, we think the key ingredients for a, a seed strategy are um, great entrepreneurs and founders, uh, enough technical talent to, to scale companies locally, uh, early stage capital, and then local downstream capital. Mm-hmm. So even here in the US, that, that's been the big gating factor for us. We, we've tended to focus on um, geographies where the, the downstream capital is, is based. So yeah. principally there in New York, and to a lesser extent, Boston and LA. Um, outside the US, the only other kind of criteria that, that we want to see is um, a deep enough liquidity market. And, and the way that we've kind of um, mitigated some of the, the risk around liquidity is we've optimized for slightly more mature track records outside the US. So we want to see actual DPI which practically speaking means we're backing more funds three and four out of our, our non-US portfolio than funds one and two, which we do a lot of here. Do you mind defining DPI for the folks listening? Uh, excuse me. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, distrib- distributions over paid in capital. So uh, actual liquidity generated by selling companies or taking them public and then returning that to, to uh, limited partners. People got their money back. Indeed, yeah, yeah, and hopefully much more than just their hopefully money back. Hopefully a lot more, right? It's a, yeah. it's a multiple on that, on yep. how much I've invested. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we think there is a key distinction between showing markups on paper and actually uh, realizing those gains and, and getting it back to, to LPs. Um, so we've, we've really been um, keyed, keyed in on a DPI for our international program. So you mentioned there's 10 geographies outside the U.S. that you think are robust enough to support real institutional seed programs. Off the top of your head, how many can you name? I think we'd love to hear them. Sure. Um, well, I, I can tell you where we have some, some, uh, some fun relationships. Obviously, sure. that's a, a pretty good indicator that we, we have belief in that ecosystem. Um, we have a, uh, a, a fund headquartered in Toronto. Okay. Uh, so we think that... Um, Canada and Toronto in particular is a, is a really interesting technology ecosystem. Um, you mentioned Israel. We, we have a, a fund in Tel Aviv. Uh, we think you know, Israel is probably the most mature non-US um, venture ecosystem out there, but it, it's, a, uh, we think, a great, um, a great region of uh, technologists and, and good company builders. Um, we have a fund headquartered in, in London that is a, a kind of a pan-European approach. We think that the European uh, venture ecosystem is a lot more compelling today than it was 
a decade ago. Uh, and it actually has a lot to do with the, the maturation of the downstream capital markets. There are many more players today with a lot more capital that can lead Series A, B, and C rounds in, in Europe. Uh, so we, we think it's, it's more interesting. Um, and then we have fund managers in China and in India. Um, right. And uh, I think the other markets that we continue to, to watch and, and think are kind of becoming more attractive by the day, I'd say Southeast Asia is probably at, at the top of the list. Um, we, know, uh, we know many of the fund managers in LATAM and Africa and Central and Eastern Europe. I, I think we probably feel like the, the downstream capital in those regions needs another fund cycle to continue to develop before mm-hmm. we'd actively, um, actively start deploying there. We hear a lot about Berlin and Paris. Frankly, we see entrepreneurs applying from those geographies all the time. Uh, on the VC side, as you know, entrepreneurs in those geographies will very often move management teams to the U.S. to tap into the U.S. market, leaving you know software development or other kind of back office functions um, in their local geography. And very often they like New York because the time zone's a little better for bridging between Europe and the U.S. Uh, are you seeing a lot coming out of Berlin or Paris? We are, yeah. Um, so the, the London-based um, manager that I mentioned, I'd say France is one of the kind of three ecosystems that, that he's principally focused on um, and, and one that we think is a lot more interesting today. I, I think um, you know, part of the big change there has been cultural. So when I lived in London in you know, 2005, 2006, the idea of uh, us when I was at Horsley backing up a French venture capital fund, um, it, it probably wasn't going to happen. I think there was still a lot of stigma around failure um, yeah. and entrepreneurship just wasn't quite as, as celebrated. There were still some structural impediments to running a startup in terms of the ability to hire and fire quickly. Right. Um, I think all of that has changed pretty dramatically. And, and there have also been some really big European success stories that this generation of entrepreneurs can now look to and say, we can build really big, successful companies here in, in Europe. So um, again, we, we think Europe's a much more interesting place today. Uh, with regard to Berlin, I, I, I should have mentioned, I, I was talking about kind of our core relationships, um, our portfolio strategy. 90% of our capital goes to what we call core commitments, where we are often the largest limited partner. We're always one of the three largest. Um, but we also carve out 10% of our funds to do what we call pilots. And those are, are smaller checks, um, typically a million to $2 million, uh, where we, we really like a fund manager, but there's some aspect of the strategy that we, that we want to spend um, a little bit more time kind of understanding uh, and getting comfortable with. We did a pilot to a, a Berlin-based pre-seed fund, Very cool. um, partly because it was you know a little bit complementary to our uh, our core position uh, with the, the London-based fund I, I mentioned. You know, the Berlin managers focus more on the DAC region, um, and we we do think that that um, Germany and Berlin in particular is is a really compelling uh, hub for entrepreneurship today. So in my experience, and you know this better than I do, there's a lot of volatility in returns by fund for a given manager. So manager A might kill it in fund one, fund two's terrible, fund three's awesome. Just because when you have a, a lot of variance in the outcomes of the underlying portfolio, 
it can it can really swing things in terms of the overall fund return. Given that, if, I don't know if you agree with that, but if you do agree, there's a lot of volatility within a given funds uh, or manager's cycle. What's the right number of funds for you to have as an LP in a portfolio to manage that to mute that out uh, through yeah. scale? Yeah, I think I, I generally agree with um, with the. There is a fair amount of variability in, in venture performance um, by by fund cycle, even within a you know one particular manager. Um, I do our fundamental thesis at Sandana is that small funds outperform over the long term, and I think part of the reason you see a lot of that variation in performance is because funds outgrow their strategy uh, and and then underperform in, in the future. So. Um, we hope that by being focused exclusively on small funds investing at the earliest stage, that we insulate ourselves from some of that variability in, in future fund performance. Um, you know, that the hope is that by by staying disciplined on this part of the market, that we'll we'll be able to consistently outperform and find managers that that can do that. Um, that said, we we recognize that uh, it is venture capital; it, it is a power law game, and um, and uh, you know we want to build a, a thoughtful portfolio ourselves. Uh, to to put specific numbers on it, I, the most concentrated core portfolio that we run is probably five or six fund commitments, um, and the most diverse is probably a dozen. Um, so, you know, six to twelve core positions. Uh, where ninety percent of the capital is is being deployed, um, that that feels like the right That'll range for us. Yeah, and right. you know that results in a, a portfolio of um, a couple hundred companies uh, in, in a fund of fund. And I, I should have mentioned before, um, we're very focused on fund managers that are leading their rounds and and being really thoughtful on portfolio construction. So they're targeting. Uh, meaningful ownership positions and are adequately reserved to protect that ownership through liquidity. Um, so, uh, long story short, is you know we we build a concentrated portfolio of GPs who are building a concentrated portfolio, uh, so that any one f- one company can still have a real impact on on our fund to fund. Got it. Okay, so if you're an individual LP out there, not institutional, and you're thinking about getting in this game, handful of venture funds. Probably the right strategy. Yeah, I mean, look, I think there's some parallels to angel investing, right? You probably don't want to just try your hand at two angel deals. You're going to want to build a portfolio. Um, I, I think a, a fund portfolio can be, you know, more concentrated than a direct portfolio because funds um, are, are less risky. You know, there, there's there's lower likelihood of any. Fund that you know contains a portfolio of companies going to zero than obviously any single um, private investment. Uh, so yeah, I, I think I would say uh, you know a, a handful of um, of fund commitments for an individual is something that that could make make sense. Could you uh, elaborate? You, you had mentioned before the moment a moment ago about uh, funds outgrowing their strategy. Could you explain what that means to folks and? maybe what some uh, signs are that you're looking for? Yeah, sure. Um, so the, the incentive structure in the, the venture industry, um, you know, most of the compensation is, uh, is based on 
the two and 20 model where a, a fund charges 2% management fee and, and, and 20% um, of the, uh, of the, of the gains as, as carry. Uh, it, it's, it's easy to, to see how once a manager has some modicum of success, uh, that incentive structure pushes most people to try and raise more capital and replicate the same success with a larger, larger pool of, of money. Um, we don't believe that, that venture as an, as an asset category scales. You know, we, we think the ability to generate a, a three to five to 10x net fund, it, it's just mathematically meaningfully harder with, with more capital under management. Uh, so that's, that's kind of uh, informed our focus on small funds investing at the very earliest stage. But the, the reality is um, most fund managers do get bigger. And, and all of a sudden, um, instead of writing a collaborative check where they could be you know, a small part of a, a syndicated round, now that they have enough capital that they have to compete with the 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 other investors that they previously collaborated with mm -hmm. um and being able to do that successfully it, it's a different game and and you know in, in in some ways can be much harder and you mentioned the data doesn't support part of the your overarching thesis um and maybe i'm misunderstanding this that larger funds are generating as much yield is that is that a universal you know and you look at the mat with the asset class Funds under a hundred million are put, just putting up better numbers in general than funds that are five hundred million or a billion. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't have the comprehensive data set, yeah. um, but I, I will tell you, you know, over the course of my career and having seen performance numbers from some great data sets like Cambridge Associates and Horsley over the last twenty years, and also what we've built um, so far at, at Sindana. Uh, I, I think there's a real correlation between outperformance and smaller fund size. Um, and uh, Cambridge has done some research papers that have indicated, um, you know, emerging managers, which tend to be smaller, right. uh, account for um, a meaningful part of the top venture performance in every vintage year over the last decade. Um, Fascinating. And that's, that's a big part of, of what we believe. How many funds do you guys look at each year? No, we should do a better job of, uh, of, of quantifying this. Um, I'm sure it's something we could pull from our, our CRM. Yeah, ballpark. Um, We're talking hundreds uh, or what's the, yeah, what's the scale? Uh, hundreds. Yeah, certainly hundreds. So you're seeing um, patterns. When you, when you look at that many opportunities, you're starting to see what, what rises to the top a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we, we have, you know, as mentioned, some structural things that we focus on that helps us um, screen out a fair amount of the noise. We're, you know, we're focused on funds that are leading their deals. Um, we're focused on funds operating in geographies with enough downstream capital. Um, so it, it, it helps us um, hone in on strategies that would be the right fit for the Sindana mandate. Um, but at the end of the day, we're, we're also looking for stuff that is unique and differentiated and that we think will give that particular manager a, a long-term competitive advantage and, and allow them to deliver outperformance over the long term. Yeah, that was my next question. What makes one seed fund better than another? And you know, I'm sure there's no simple answer to that, but 
What are some examples of advantages that you think are meaningful? Yeah, I mean, this is this is really the kind of special sauce to 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 what we do, right? I mean, I, I think the, the the structural lenses that we use, um, anyone could could apply those. Um, and there is no universal answer to like what makes a, a seed fund great. Sometimes it's as simple as the remarkable networks of the of the GP or the the the, the team. Um, you know, they they are in a position to see some of the most interesting deals and have the personal brand to to win those. Um, and entrepreneurs want to work with them. Um, I, I think as the seed market has matured, we do think there is some brand differentiation. Um, so many of the incumbents today that, that we've been backing since 2010 um, have built up strong enough brands that, that founders actively seek them out and, and want to work with them. Um, so I, I do think that there is some, some brand equity today at Seed. Um, and then sometimes it's, it's something about their strategy that is unique. So sometimes it's a thematic focus on a particular vertical and um, super deep domain expertise and, and a network within that particular vertical. Um, I, I think that's a, that's a way that can get us excited about backing a, uh, backing a manager because we believe that they're going to be um, uniquely positioned to, to win, to see and win the deals in that particular vertical. Uh, sometimes it's something structural about the fund. Uh, we back some funds with different kind of equity for services model that allows them to get incremental ownership beyond just their financial investment. Um, and that can create some, some pretty attractive returns when, when that goes well. Um, sometimes it's a, a geographical focus, right? We, you know, we, we have backed fund managers that we think are the, the dominant uh, brand for deal flow within their particular ecosystem. Mm -hmm. um, and we think that can be a, a successful way to win as well. Some of the firms out there, you know, this uh, stake, I think it's very common in private equity, try to stake the funds, the limited partners um, put the biggest check in and they take not just traditional, uh, they pay not just traditional fees, they also participate in a different degree of ownership of the fund itself. They'll get a part of the GP stake, maybe participating in their carry, maybe even some of the management fee. Is that, um, do you guys see a lot of that at the seed stage? Do you guys do that? Uh, it's, it's a confusing term because people will say they seed the fund, but we're talking about seeding <laughs> seed funds. Right. <laughs> um, what does that look like? Yeah, it's not something that we do at Sandana. Um, you know, because we're focused on these very small funds, often nascent partnerships that are just trying to get going. You know th their fee base tends to be very small anyway. We just right. we don't think that it's fair to to take economics from from a very small fund, um, and we also don't think it's it's optimal. Uh, you know we we want to be backing the very best teams. We kind of think that the very best teams want to be independent and you know own their destiny um, and I, we think there's some adverse selection in terms of fund managers that are willing to sell a, a part of their uh, future economics in order to, to get a fund raised. Um, that so it, it's, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not a part of, of our strategy. And uh, candidly, we, we kind of recommend fund managers try and avoid it if possible. Okay. 
Now, you worked at Horsley Bridge uh, before doing your MBA. Uh, and for those who don't know, Horsley Bridge is a pretty big name LP. Uh, do you mind giving a little overview of the firm, just briefly? Um, and then I'm interested sure. to hear, you know, why you ended up there, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so I started uh, out of undergrad at um, another pretty well-known institution in the investment space called Cambridge Associates. Mm. Uh, and they are a, um, uh, an advisory firm that uh, provides consulting services to most of the endowed nonprofit world on um, how to allocate their portfolios. Um, during my time there, I, I worked with several large clients that had a lot of uh, venture capital and private equity exposure. Um, and so uh, when I moved out to San Francisco, uh, it, it made sense to look for an opportunity that was, instead of on the advisory side, uh, actually deploying capital, writing checks into funds. And um, when I was at Cambridge, a lot of my mentors said, if you want to go to a fund of funds, Horsey Bridge is really um, the, you know, the, the top of the top of the heap. Um, they, they have one of the most respected brands and access to some of the very best uh, venture funds. So uh, I was fortunate enough to, to land a, a role there as an investment associate. Um, and uh, it was really a, a foundational part of my, my career as, as an LP. Um, and Horsley is a firm that was actually founded um, on the East Coast, uh, but has been located in San Francisco for decades. Um, I, I was really lucky to work there uh, when kind of the, the founding partners, um, Phil Horsley and Gary Bridge, were, were still there. They were mentors of mine, as, as well as many of the, the managing directors who are still there today. Um, they have been in LPs in, in most of the top brands in Silicon Valley uh, from the very nascent days of venture as an industry, uh, as well as a number of growth equity and leverage buyout managers as, as well. So Cambridge Associates and Horsley Bridge, those are two of the big names in that community. You have a, this is one of the reasons I was excited to have you on the show, is you're incredibly pedigreed uh, in the LP community for venture. Um, and for those who don't know, uh, Cambridge Associates uh, also is the, essentially provides the benchmark for returns for venture firms. Every year is a new vintage. So if you're a 2015 vintage, they'll say, if you've made this much money in return, you're in the top decile or quartile of all the funds. So they kind of are the, they set the standard for how VCs evaluate their performance. It's a pretty significant role in the market. Yeah, I mean, both experiences for me were, were really fantastic. Uh, I think one thing that Cambridge and Horsley share is um, you know, that, that focus on data. And, and the data is uh, both quantitative. They, they collect a lot of information about you know, track records and investment performance, but also qualitative. One of, one of my favorite things is, you know, a young person at, at both of those firms was being able to go back and look at meeting notes from decades before. Huh. Uh, and it, it was just, as someone who's kind of a student of the venture uh, world and, and history, to be able to, to go back and read. Um, was was there a was meeting brilliant. or a person that you remember looking back on? Some iconic VC that... Not specifically. I mean, Horsley was LPs in, you know, Kleiner and, and Mayfield and Matrix from their, you know, first or second funds. So being Amazing. able to, to go back and read 
Um, right. Those meeting notes and investment memos uh, back like, before those were brand names. It, it was really pretty cool. It's like v, it's VC history. Indeed. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Where do you see yourself in the next 10 years? You've been doing this for a while. sounds like you found a home. What's the path yeah. forward? I, I, look, I, I think we're building some, some really exciting stuff at, um, at Sedona. I think uh, the, the, we've been able to walk the line between staying disciplined and staying focused on our part of the market while layering in some new initiatives as well. Uh, you know, pre-seed as a, as a separate portfolio didn't exist in, in our third fund. Um, so breaking it out as, as part of fund four was a little bit of an evolution for us. Um, and, and similarly, international is, is still, still relatively nascent for us. And we think there's a, there's a ton of opportunity uh, to find great managers around, around the globe. Um, I think you're right. I, I, I think you know there are other um, interesting and complementary strategies that we could pursue that um, would be symbiotic with our kind of core focus on small and early stage funds. Uh, and look, I think our kind of flagship product is still exciting and and really compelling from a uh, a return perspective. Very cool. Are, are the, is there a product that you guys imagine adding in the near future? I mean, it sounds like you just made the big leap internationally. So maybe you've got your work cut out for you. Yeah, I think we're, we're focused on, um, on building, uh, building the international program. Uh, and um, so no, nothing imminent, I would say. Okay. Um, but uh, there, there are always ideas that we kick around internally um, that, that could emerge. I think we're open to something um, growing organically, but uh, we also we're excited about the the kind of lines of business that we're in right now. Okay. All right, Graham. Last question, broad one. What is the most important thing you've learned as an investor? Looking to impart a little wisdom here to the people listening. Um, I think this this whole conversation has been incredibly informative for folks and in bringing them into the context of what's going on up the chain if you're an entrepreneur. But I, I do think a lot of people will be listening to this who write checks into funds directly. So any guidance? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the most, the single most important part of our job is evaluating people. Um, I, I think it, it's probably, I'm sure evaluating people is paramount at all types of investment decision-making. Uh, but as a limited partner, it, it, it's not like evaluating a direct investment opportunity where you have a business model to evaluate and diligence. We're investing in a blind pool of capital. Sure, there's a strategy um, and, and a focus, but at the end of the day, it really is all about the people. And um, I, that's, that's what engages me the most and, and what I find the most exciting. It's also you know, the most challenging part of the work. Um, so I, I think my, my piece of advice um, on the limited partner side is, is really, you know, at the end of the day, the, the people are paramount and, and that's what you have to, have to focus on. It's terrific. Thank you for making time to join us. Pleasure is all mine. Thanks so much. Big thanks to Graham for giving us a glimpse into the secrets of the LP world. LPs are VC's ultimate customer. 
Understanding them is important to understanding VCs. If you liked what you heard, please hook us up with a like or a five-star review and feel free to share with a friend. You can find me on Twitter at MPD. To hear more of my conversations with innovators, subscribe on YouTube, Facebook, or any major podcast platform. Just search for Innovation with Mark Peter Davis.